This is FinTech Takes, the podcast keeping you in the loop on all the latest FinTech trends, news, and ideas. I'm Alex Johnson, creator of the FinTech Takes newsletter, your host and self-confessed FinTech nerd. Let's go. Sheree, let's go back to the, the Wayback Machine here. And the year is early 2013. I'm guessing this started for you about the same time. We had just gotten the news from our investors at, at Perk Street that, you know, hey, it's been a great five years, time to go sell the business. And, you know, I still remember hearing for the first time you guys were in market at the same time. And, you know, we had the upside of like, we appealed to kind of middle America, but you guys were Silicon Valley rock stars, you know, kind of putting fintech on the map. Walk us through like what was going through your mind? What were was the process when you and Josh were coming to this realization? It's like, hey, like we need to go find an exit. And you were far from done, you know, with what you're going seeking to accomplish. But what was that process like? Kicking and screaming, if I was to use uh, two words, right? So the way that that ended up happening um, was uh, we finally got Simple launched in July of 2012, uh, only about two and a half years behind schedule, um, right? And so uh, we raised a lot of money, about uh, probably about 13 million at that point when we launched. Um, And we had a pretty big team. We had like 30-ish people, I think, when when we launched. Um, And uh, we had a burst of growth, and then we figured out that it's just getting people to sign up doesn't help if they don't actually use the product. Um, And and then we started working on solving the kind of like activation problem, which... uh, well, and and at, the, at this point, we were on Bancorp. And anytime we tried to onboard more than like four or 5,000 customers in a month, their system just broke. We'd have like people stuck in a queue for like, we'd, we'd get like more than a thousand people stuck in a queue where they hadn't heard a response for a week. And I'm like, you know, that that at some point it starts becoming unacceptable, right? So we were sort of throttled by, in our growth by uh, Bancorp. And at the same time, um, we had a huge activation problem where everybody would put hundred bucks, spend it and never do another transaction after the second or third one, right? So we started working on that. And I will say that at the time it felt like, you know, like the sky is falling down and we and, and we, 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 we got to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Our activation on our internal metric like bottomed out at like around 15% in September of 12. By January of 13, it was up to like 23, 25% and it hit 33% at max. And this is an internal metric. It was not like the, the industry standard one transaction per customer in last 30 yeah, days. Re- is real active. metrics, like real yeah. metrics. Like if you were trying to build a business, what you want to put into the Excel model around mm-hmm. a real customer, not vanity metrics of yeah, they exactly. looked at the login to the app. We basically in like a six month period went from possibly the worst activation level to probably the best in the industry if you looked across it, right? Like uh, our active customers, that percentage of 30% 30 of the cohort that was active, were doing more than 30 transactions a month on average, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and, uh, so we solved the problem. 
fundamentally by like January of 13. But we were almost out of money. Um, and uh, Facebook had gone public in 2012 and then had their stock price had tanked and that led to a VC chill. Um, so we kicked off a fundraise process in January of 13 to raise 15 million for a Series B, um, then got a term sheet in February in three weeks time for 25 million way more than we wanted from Warburg Pincus. Uh, and then two weeks of due diligence later, they pulled the term sheet. Mm. And we were like, why? And they were like, yeah, we just decided not to do the de deal. And we're like, no, did we find something in due diligence? I was like, no, no, just decided not to do the deal. We're like, what the? And that's when he, I re that's my one of my big learnings was that a PE firm, uh, a term sheet is a little bit more valuable than toilet paper. Right. Uh, a VC firm which writes a term sheet expects to close on 98% of the term sheets it writes. A PE firm expects to close on maybe 30% of the term sheets they write. Right. The term sheet is their way of getting into the deal. It's not a, any indication that they will close it. Right. So there we were in um, sort of early April of 13 uh, with about eight weeks of runway left, uh, a 60 person team, because we had to scale customer service like crazy just to keep right. up with uh, yeah. all the broken stuff on the back end. Um, business was growing. We had solved the activation problem. Revenue was like profitability at 30% activation was like 6x profitability at 15%. It, it was massive, right? Mm -hmm. um, everything was beginning to work, but we were out of money <laughs> and there was no time to go raise another round. On the flip side, our intern inside uh, investors were all sort of seed investors who had stretched to write a Series B to us. Mm -hmm. There was no way they could write a Series C. It was it was impossible, right? Um, so we had to go to them and be like, "Hey, we need an inside round." And they were like, "Look, the uh, we can give you a couple of million, but we can't do much more than that." Um, and you have, I mean, we had always had inbound interest from kind of. Lots of people, we just ignored it. We never wanted to sell. They were like, you, you have to hire a banker and start looking at this inbound interest because we can't, you know, you have like, how much did we have? We had like more than 30,000 customers at that point, probably 40,000-ish. Um, you, you can't take the risk that you just run out of money with like all these all these people's money, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and forget, forget the VC money, right? But at least like customers need a, uh, so we were like, okay, fine. You give us the, the bridge loan to hide us over for a few months and we'll hire a banker. And Josh and I were like, you know, we'll hit the, the fundraising road again and find another term sheet. And, and, uh, and, 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 and we, we, for us, we were like, we will work with the banker just because that's what our investors want. We're going to go work on getting a round together. So that's how it actually started in uh, sort of June, July of 13. And when you were, I mean, sort of progressing through that process, I mean, I, I hear a lot of stories like this where it it's almost like stages of grief in terms of like, we're not quite to acceptance yet. Like where along that journey of we're going to talk to a banker, but then, you know, we're also going to be looking for more sort of VCs to sort of fund another round. Like when did that flip and you said, okay, now we have to like sell. I, I can go back and find the exact date, but it was around uh, 6 p.m. on I think around January 29th of 2014. That, that is an incredibly specific date. So, so when, so what, what drove that, 
realization like what 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 was the switch that kind of flipped at that point was it just you couldn't find uh investors that were willing to oh, do another it round way, it, it was way worse than that we at that point uh we had i mean it was we got a offer from bbva and that was mm-hmm. how that happened there were so many things then we spent like months and months in like due diligence where they hired a, a banking law firm to do the uh, due diligence and they they tried to do it the way that you know one bank acquires another bank and that right, which is had not no what conception you guys were. of Mm-hmm. No conception of fintech. It was. I mean, we'd get on calls with like thirty compliance people and our like three person team, right? I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> right? um, and and but we we had finally gotten to the point by end of January where the number was pretty much locked in at 117 million. Mm-hmm. The terms are pretty much locked in, and we were just like a week or two away from signing the final docs and closing the deal, right? Right. We also had a term share sheet from a one of the best VC firms on the planet for a 25 million round Mm. at a decent valuation. Mm -hmm. And so we could have walked away from the deal and taken that. And I still wonder what that alternative world would have looked like, right? Given everything that I, but I, that I know now. And so I, and and I was at a conference in in Palm Springs and I, uh, I, I went for, dinner to meet one of my wife's colleagues and as happens she was in their home with my daughter having dinner with them while I was taking calls out sitting outside in the car <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah that's 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 uh, all the family things you miss as an entrepreneur where you're like what were you doing when this happened I was on the phone talking to somebody <laughs> so I was on the phone with that investor and with Josh and we kind of like went trying to negotiate the term sheet a little bit and, and they kind of they, they negotiated a little bit and gave us a little bit of give and then they told us like this is at the max you kind of have to make a decision mm-hmm. right and and that had been in the works too for a couple of three months at that point right mm-hmm. uh and and so and then josh and i kind of like had to had to bite the bullet and we were like this is it right either we sell in two weeks time or we sign this term sheet and 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 take the money and and keep growing and 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 that's we talked and we realized that like and was it wasn't even a an hour long conversation right it was like a five ten minute conversation with Josh and we were like can we actually do the term sheet right the entire management team is already counting remember we took fourteen million of that hundred and seventeen and distributed it to one hundred employees mm-hmm. not including the founders. Mm-hmm. Right. So we explicitly set out to make everybody other than us rich. And we succeeded. Mm-hmm. There were there were like customer service people who walked in to the company thinking after the announcement that was being acquired, who thought they were being fired. And then after a conversation with me, they went out and bought houses in Portland. So it was life-changing money for not just us, but everybody in the company. The VCs were bought off. They were like, look, we're meeting. We thought, you know, six months ago we were worried that this was going to go to hell in a, some flaming basket and now you're giving me a four to six x return i'm in yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, uh, yeah. So, so so and it was cash it was it was a good deal and mm-hmm. and we were like can we walk away from all of that mm-hmm. and just um take the vc money and 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 keep building and there was just too much momentum behind the deal already mm-hmm. right it was like mm-hmm. it wasn't really a, even about us we were like oof, we pretty much have to fire a good chunk of the people because they're, they're just going to be like, wait, you, I was going to make 
300k and now i got nothing <laughs> right <laughs> you know right. uh so it, it it just wasn't realistically possible at that point you know things have things have momentum right and and once you get to a certain point in the momentum it takes a huge amount of effort to stop it even so that's when we kind of like acknowledge the reality that we probably weren't going to do this vc and we were probably going to sell and yeah i guess that's it josh yeah 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 it's not like he was in a different place i was in a different place we just it was a short conversation yeah it was a short conversation we were both like yeah are you in the same place you're in the same place yeah i mean well let's go sell it then and that's what yeah. i'm curious for people who knew you best and even at a you know a great financial exit but knew that you weren't done building how did you start to you know explain that the uh, the the people to whom it was the hardest was employees right and employ i mean there were you know the senior folk who knew about the deal and had actually helped with like due diligence and everything because I mean, josh and i could only do the, so much by ourselves right um and so for them it wasn't hard to explain because they knew the trajectory of the funding side of the business they had worked on the due diligence with warburg and seen it fall apart and 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 kind of had i mean we kept the management team we took the management team along right on this journey and so they they knew what was going on and they weren't like you know uh, upset about the sale um because they made a ton of money out of it right uh, it, the, the hardest thing i think was to to talk to the sort of the the remaining 90 employees right and josh and i split it up and we spoke to every employee the day of the announcement which was mm. i think february 16th or something of so it was like 3 weeks after 2 3 weeks after this right um and um and then we were, and then then we we had to explain to them that um like this was the this was kind of the option that made the most sense and it wasn't really um anything else that needed to happen and we truly believed which was true we truly did believe that this was the best option for the company and having bbva as both a strong bank partner because a lot of our problems throughout the history of the company and and now we're looking back on it on the entire history of like fintech was that you needed a bank partner yeah. and bank partners are heavily regulated and whatever problems they have with regulation that might not have anything to do with you i just going to rebound on you and can easily set your business back 6 months a year 2 years and that's death Three and a half years start. to be precise yeah yep uh, and that that's that's like that's the kiss of death for a startup right you right. measure time lost and you lost a week on this you lost a month on that just saying that like um you lost 2 years because higher one got into trouble with the regulator and 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 that now means that bankorp is swamped and i'm like what what's got that got to do with me i got my business is doing great i have no problems with any regulator damn it um doesn't help right so that kind of thing um yeah so we, we truly believe that having a strong bank partner uh who was both funding the company and providing the balance sheet and the compliance coverage would allow us to dramatically grow faster um and you know we were never in it to become billionaires josh and i from the start were always like we do want to make money for employees and investors and everybody but we really want to fix the world of banking right um and we were like we can fix it much better this way um maybe naive in hindsight <laughs> right uh, but that's what we believed at that point so i think employees kind of understood that and trusted us that if josh and shamir think the right thing is to sell the business to bbva then then that must be the right thing to do oh and i'm making 50k 
Oh, heck yeah, I'm in. <laughs> bonus, bonus. Right. Well, and that's a, I think that's a good way of putting it, right? Because like, there's an element of like practicality and like financial <laughs> outcomes for everyone involved. But there's also like y- y- the hundred of you. And I remember this very clearly. I was a simple customer back in the day. And one thing that always came through very clearly in everything you guys did was you were very mission driven. Like you wanted to fix yes. banking. I'm trying to remember the original uh, text that was on the like website when you were just getting signups and it was like, we're going to build a better bank. Or it was some like really simple statement that was yeah. like really resonated with like thousands and thousands of people, including me. And like, I think the, the carrying the mission forward to the acquirer, that's a really interesting thing because some, I know some fintech founders that exit, they like know from day one, like this is going to die as soon as it goes into this company, but like we're doing this for other reasons. With you guys, you carried that that mission forward and genuinely thought you were going to be able to kind of continue to build on that. Walk us through like what happened next. Like what what were those next? I can't remember how long you stayed at BBVA after the acquisition, but what was that experience like? So one of the main premises of the, um, the acquisition was that we could use BBVA's backend platform yeah, uh, yeah. remember this was long before anything called a bass existed the word bass didn't exist I, actually at this point i think in somewhere in 2014 is when i first heard the term neobank right and i didn't like it back then i've gotten used to it now <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but i'm like so uh so we kind of had built our own platform on top of a company called TXVIA mainly um and also like using um some of bank corps technology uh, but it was a cobbled together mess that barely functioned at the best of times uh, and TXVIA had been acquired by google so they exited the industry so that was a massive source of a lot of our problems right um and so then we switched to first data but in the middle of that switch got acquired by bbba so we switched from TXVIA to first data and as soon as that was done we then switched from first data to uh, to bbva um the uh, and and so that's why we for like a period of like three years in there 60 to 90% of the energy of the engineering team was just on back end, like nothing that any customer ever saw. And the product frankly stagnated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with some mm-hmm. improvements and here and there tweaks and stuff. And it was still revolutionary and different enough that it just still carried it, carried us through that period from like basically 14 to 17. Uh, but it also meant that that was the period of time in which like Chime caught up with the company, right? Chime mm-hmm. launched and, 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 uh, and, and grew, right? Um, and so that, so that I, th- th- a lot of the, the senior management team just basically left after the <laughs> acquisition right. um, and, and uh, including me, I can't complain about that when I did it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I actually left Simple and moved to BBVA, which was totally not an earnout related thing. It wasn't like um, my earnout was very much tied to Simple's outcome, regardless mm-hmm. of whether I worked there or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh I went to BBVA and I helped them build uh, the platform that Simple transitioned to because the idea that Simple would transition to BBVA was great, but BBVA didn't actually have anything called an API platform or a tech platform. So it was like, how does this actually work? Well, you need to show us APIs. And it's like, we don't have any APIs. (laughs) Uh, We're going to have to build some. And then somebody came up with the idea, well, if you're building APIs, why why not do it right and sell it to everybody 
not just simple. And I was like, that's a great idea. Uh, I became an advisor to that. Then I took over that business and ran it. So we built and launched the open platform at BBVA mm -hmm. in the US. And we also launched another API platform in Europe called, which is a PSD2 style platform in Europe. So that was the first PSD2 style platform in Europe. And the open platform at BBVA was the first BAS platform from a bank anywhere mm -hmm. in the US, probably anywhere on the planet. So I can say, and this is between me and Jason that I launched the first Neobank. <laughs> we, we can, we can, first or second, let's be honest yeah. there, right? Um, and uh, I can say that I launched the first PSC2 style platform anywhere on the planet and probably the first BAS platform from a bank anywhere on the planet. Um, and that was before I turned 35. Oh no, before I turned 37, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm much older than that now and I've given up trying to like keep track of these things. Um, so we launched the open platform, simple transition to it. It worked. It was actually one of the smoothest transitions. Um, we, we, um, we launched other businesses on it. We even got other customers like uh, uh, Google to sign up to use the open platform at BBVA. But the problem was that, and this is one of the things I just now realized, right? Like the hardest thing in the venture world, in my opinion, uh, is to go from zero to 10 million in revenue. Mm. Yeah. Right. It is very hard to get to that 10 million number. And if you get to 10 million, you'll probably sail to like 20 to 50. Everything has its own challenges. Every every time you double, it's the new challenge. But I, I feel like zero to 10 is the hardest part. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get to 10 million, you're like probably a series B company, maybe depending on, you know, which environment you are, you're like a anywhere from like a 50 to a 500 million company. Maybe if it was 21, you're a billion dollar company. Uh, but 10 million is nothing to a large company. Mm. Like you go to BBVA and they're like, you know, I can tweak my loan pricing slightly and increase profit in the US by 10 million this quarter. Profit. Yeah, they, they can like, they can Guaranteed. find it under yeah. the sofa cushions, right? Yeah. So the, the, the thing was that to nobody in the company was anything that the innovation team did going to actually move the needle in terms of profits at any point right mm -hmm. um and and so the whole like focus that bbva had on innovation from essentially like 2000 but really from like 2010 to 2020 and trying to kind of take over the world was very much a top down labor of love or, or or really belief in the future which was very much driven by the leadership they had um, um fg and 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 carlos and and they truly believe that fintech and technology would change the world of finance and i, I agree with them actually um, but it meant also that when times were tough right as long as times were good things were good but when times were tough are you going to cut the core business that's generating billions of profit or are you going to cut these like you know um hanger on platforms which even maybe they're growing great maybe they're going from like 10 to 50 million in revenue but they're not adding anything to profit you know a startup doesn't even think about profitability till it gets to 100 million in revenue right mm -hmm. um so nothing that bbva is doing on the innovation side was close to that even simple in 2018 19 uh, with like i think million plus customers a lot of them active finally beginning to work again on 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 new product development and uh, and everything was just not anywhere close to being profitable and not even close to being the sort of profitability where it would have meant anything to BBVA's balance sheet. The pandemic came along and suddenly BBVA had to find uh, a few tens of billions in 
under the seat cushions <laughs> um and and this i think is part of like hi the history of bbva is like their strategy has always been great and sort of visionary like a decade ahead of the rest of the industry even going back to you know decade before but their timing when they acquire companies and when they sell them is abysmal mm. somehow they always buy at the top and sell at the bottom so they sold compass and simple in like late 2020 in the depth of the pandemic right Brutal. when simple as an independent company would have probably had like a 5 billion plus valuation in late 21 Yeah. right uh and they basically sold it for nothing to pnc and yeah. pnc was like pnc is a, has been a very like sort of non forward thinking bank the kind of the opposite of bbva they just didn't want anything to do with simple and and basically told bbva to shut it down before it came over right and so bbva did but it was really pnc who drove that um and it's just a disaster because you're like another 18 months and they could probably have sold simple and the 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 uh, actual like the other businesses uh, which were all number 1 2 3 in their uh, in their industries they could have probably sold the whole thing for 10 billion just the innovation businesses forget the compass the traditional bank which is what they sold for like 14 billion right so it's like you acquired compass in 2007 at the height of the previous boom invested billions in it and then sold it at the depth of the bust in 2020 if you had bought it in like late 08 you would have gotten it for a third of the price and if you had sold it in late 21 you probably have doubled the price You know, there was quite a Twitter now X outpouring as people's simple accounts were being closed. What was going through your head that mm. this thing that you and Josh had like poured your lifeblood into, your dreams and passions, you know, as you said, it wasn't about making money. Well, that was important, and you wanted to change lives as investors. You wanted to fix the system, mm. and in some regard, like you, you failed. They killed it. Right. Granted, you weren't there, but like, how did you feel? How did you begin to reconcile that? In a weird way, it felt um, with many different feelings because it took a period of months, right? So, um, but like at one, at, at some early on, it felt like you know when um, you get a call from an ex whom you haven't talked to in years. and 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 you realize like how much that used to matter to you but doesn't anymore because there was all these people as you said on twitter who were all about you know simple and i'm like oh my god so many people still care and they still associate me with it even though it's been like 6 years since i left now right and 6 mm -hmm. years since i left simple 4 5 years since i left bbba um i have a whole new startup which i'm working on and trying to raise money for uh and 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 you know and all these people are are you know telling stories about how much they love simple and also like being pissed off at me and i'm like it's been so long right so that was a weird feeling of like it's, it's a blast from the past right yeah um then the other part of it was i was still like simple was still my primary bank up until like i i only switched to like one like a month uh before the kind of they finally shut down all the accounts right actually a few weeks before so i was like the, you know i was i was basically account number one um and probably the last account off the platform josh and i you were going to be you were going to be an active user right until the very very end 
I was an active user up until the last month of like the last 30 day period. I was, I was still active in that period. That's amazing. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I had to then figure out like, for, for example, one of the features that we had in simple, which I don't think anybody else, uh, like really ever copied well. And I don't know why, was we allowed people to add photos to their transactions. And in the early days, we were almost competing with Instagram, funnily enough. Like we thought mm. people would attach photos of receipts and keep track and very accounting minded, me and Josh somehow. Uh, but the most of the stuff that people have, we did an analysis once, one of our product guys did it, had nothing to do with receipts. Receipts weren't even 10% of the photos. The biggest category of photos that were added to transactions was food. People took photos of the food and attached it to the receipt for the restaurant, right? Um, I actually uh, used that feature to chronicle my the early life of my daughter. So I had photos of uh, like the, the the food at the hospital when she was mm. born attached to the receipt, uh, early photos of her. So I had to go back and download all those photos from Simple and make sure that I had them in my Google photos because I wouldn't have them anymore otherwise, right? And right. she is now 11 years old. And yeah, so... The, the, the hardest part for me was actually like the actual shutdown and going through and like reorganizing my finances and then realizing like this is freaking exactly why we started this because the rest of the shit is so broken and I didn't truly realize how well we had actually solved it. But for me personally, right now, my financial life is way worse than it was when I was a simple customer. One is one is great, but then one also got acquired and is, is what is it, part of Walmart now or something? So I'm like, damn it, you know, and, and I'm like, things have gotten better. But they are still so far from solved. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it for a period of months, it was like, you know, uh just like what has this got to do with me and then being like oh yeah no this has so much to do with me that's amazing who who knew the pivot you needed was to be an instagram play before you know instagram was so big you know i know you just missed the boat on that one yeah (laughs) i mean it's still out there man i haven't seen anybody combine instagram and and finances really yet um I'm surprised Instagram hasn't tried and I tried and I'm surprised like Chime hasn't tried. <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, yeah, go ahead, Jason. Alex, you go ahead. And then I've got one last question to wrap this up. Well, I think our, our question is probably the same, but um, I mean, so exiting out of simple and BBVA, I guess the question I was curious about was just um, how did you sort of think about yourself, your identity your sort of passion for entrepreneurship having gone through all of that because as you said you know you you are now on to your next startup um it's you know from what i gather going very well but like you had to sort of start that whole journey all over again find a new problem or maybe an extension of a problem that you'd encountered in your last uh startup to kind of pursue full time what was what was that sort of emotional journey sort of jumping back into entrepreneurship so i think and I don't know about other founders, but I, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, there's this quote that comes to mind, right? Like the, uh, a reasonable man uh, adapts himself to the world around him. An unreasonable man persists in adapting the world around him to himself. Um, therefore, all progress is dependent on the unreasonable man. And I have spent... I'd say, you know, whatever, 20 plus years of my life, uh, adult life at least, 
being very unreasonable uh, <laughs> i was i was determined to fix the world's problems um and 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 i never did anything for the money and by doing so i have made more than enough money and and i've done very little to actually fix the world's problems um so selavi right um and and i i kind of think i had this a bit of this hero complex i don't know whether i was like you know i am going to fix this right and it is going to make the world a better place this this thing is broken and i will fix it now i kind of i am in my mid 40s now and and you know definitely don't have like the 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 energy level of like a 20 something uh, mckinsey consultant right um and i am like i slowly come to terms with the fact that the world is in many ways a shitty place and even when i die hopefully like whatever 40 plus years from now it will still probably be a shitty place <laughs> right and 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 it, and if i want to fix the world forget one lifetime i'm not even sure a 50 100 lifetimes would be enough right mm-hmm. just 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 so much that's broken whether it's war climate change uh, homelessness like the financial sector itself has like 100 things that are broken about it mm-hmm. guess what i realize now that i am you know i'm i'm not going to be able to solve any of it maybe very 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 little of it <laughs> um and i'm much more okay with that now right i'm like um i am i am not you know i'm not pick whomever right alexander mm-hmm. the great or whatever fi- pi- picture fi- uh, who who re- re- rewrote history definitely not that person and i'm like um i'm much more now like thoughtful about like hey the people i interact with along the way right um uh, doing things like you know just taking care of myself there was a period of like a i used to do a lot of martial arts when i was a kind of a teenager in my early mm-hmm. 20s and then for like period of like almost 20 years i did none because work startups kids life just caught up with me now i'm back i you know do more exercise do more jiu jitsu and and i'm like i'm not going to like i'm going to keep doing that i'm going to take care of myself because guess what I'm not young anymore right <laughs> if i don't I, then not, nobody else will um and i've also realized that like my ability to solve like financial and technology problems does not have to be my identity right my identity is whatever i choose to be today and today maybe shamir doesn't want to be or doesn't feel like he's going to be the the, the greatest fintech founder of all time maybe shamir today is just going to try and and get the better of this 28 year old uh, ex d1 wrestler on the jiu jitsu mats right maybe that's shamir's identity for today that is such a powerful lesson and ties into something alex and i were talking about in the opening episode last question for you know entrepreneurs that have you know raised money maybe it was a small amount a large amount but they're now facing this existential crisis that so much of their identity is wrapped up around this startup and they're facing the hard decision you know and that decision might say hey it's a softer landing and has some you know silver lining to it like selling to a major bank and getting a paycheck and you know some you know game changing money it may also mean you know like hey giving up on the entrepreneurial dream 
altogether. Either way, it's not what you set out to do. For someone who feels like they're standing at that juncture, at the you know the, the end of a, a you know uh, a plank, you know about to step off to the other side, what advice would you give? It's okay to fail. It's it's okay. There's, there's, your, the world will not end. Your life will not end. Um, most people's lives will not end because you know you you had to shut down your startup. Many, many people have done it before. Many, many people will do it again. Um, you know, it, 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 the, the, we are not, you know, in Gaza or, or Ukraine or wherever else fighting some crazy war, like where literally lives are on the line. Um, there's Things could be much, much worse. We live in one of the greatest nations on the planet. We have the privilege of having people who actually give us money just because they think we're smart and on the hope that the the 10% probability that we'll return that money to them someday, right? Uh, Not even the 90% probability, (laughs) it's much less than that. And and so the, the fact that you manage to go on this journey at all is amazing in and of itself, right? Um, where that journey ends, nobody knows. you got to fight the good fight. Um, so much of it is just luck and timing, right? Um, and and, and you, you, the people like to think it's all about ability. Heck no. I, I, I think you need, to, you need to have perseverance. Without perseverance, you cannot succeed. But how much of success is determined by perseverance? Maybe 10%. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a necessary condition, but not sufficient at all, right? Um, so just, just, just like maniacally sticking it out, um, yeah, that, that is needed for success. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to succeed. You might still fail despite maniacally sticking it out. And at some point, you do have to kind of take care of yourself. So my biggest message to folks is it's, it's okay to fail. And you are not defined by your successes. And you are not defined by your failures, right? Um, it's okay to have a nine to five job and have hobbies on the weekends and, and spend time with family, not the end of the world. Unemployment is what, like less than 4%. Any good, decent startup founder, heck, any decent startup person should be able to find a job in six months, I would think, no matter what, right? So yeah, it's okay. Find a job, take care of yourself and maybe take another try in a few years time. That's totally fine. Shamir, thank you for the honesty around the journey. And honestly, for as much as you and I have talked both through the process of, you know, building and exiting, I even learned some tidbits about the simple journey that I didn't know. So thank you. There are so many more. There are so many more. Um, I I, I feel like I need to write a book and maybe I finally will one day. That'll be that'll be the next uh, the next uh, rock that you try to push up the hill. Uh, exactly. Well, we can't uh, we can't wait to read that. Um, in the meantime, yeah, Jason, as you said, Shamir, thank you so much for um, the honesty and for taking the time. This was great. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of FinTech Takes. Stay up to date with emerging companies and the latest fintech trends by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love FinTech Takes, please tell a friend. <laughs>